2: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The West accuses Russia of blackmail for threatening to cut off gas supplies to Europe as a global energy crisis deepens. Winter fuel rationing fears are growing here. The opposition calls for a cost of living emergency. But what can the government do about soaring energy bills? If we were to
1: stand up and promise we can cut every tax, we can cover every bill, then actually that would be a false promise because we'd be on the same side. Because we've cut all these tax revenues, these are some of the
0: services that we're going to cut.
2: Calls from healthcare frontline workers for the reimposition of restrictions as virus cases surge again, but the government holds firm.
3: The only measure we're looking for is the simplest measure of all, which is that mask wearing in indoor settings, where we know the virus is transmitting at a massive rate.
2: Do get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions on hashtag tonight, VMTV. just some breaking political news this evening. Tom Clonan has been elected to the Seanad after a nail-biting and long count in the Trinity College Dublin by-election. The disability rights campaigner and military analyst and psychologist Maureen Gaffney were the two final candidates left after a seven in a seventeen candidate field. Clonan took the seat by 160 votes after the 16th count. Former Dublin Lord Mayor and Green Party councillor Hazel Chu finished third, and early favourite Hugo McNeill finished fourth. Well, it is the issue threatening every single one of us. Energy prices are spiralling and raising the very real prospect of fuel shortages and even rationing. It was the topic of discussion in the Dáil today as opposition figures called for measures to be put in place and the government promising to do all it can to help.
0: Is it the government's intention to reduce VAT to zero for a period of time on domestic energy bills, as we have been calling on your government to do for the last five months? How the hell are 470,000 people, according to official government figures, who are in danger of energy poverty, going to cope?
4: Will you compel energy companies to place customers on their most beneficial tariff? Will you replace the fuel allowance with an energy guarantee?
1: I would not rule anything out and would welcome ideas or suggestions or look at um, proposals that particularly would help those most vulnerable. One I've mentioned this house before because I think it's one that could be really effective is to give time of day pricing. We will come forward in the coming weeks with a number of other measures such as that.
2: Well, Russian President Vladimir Putin has pulled the most powerful lever at his disposal, threatening to turn off Europe's gas supplies. He says from tomorrow, foreign buyers must pay for their energy with rubles. Remember, a third of Europe's gas supply comes from Russia. Germany says the threat is blackmail. Well, across the Atlantic, Joe Biden was turning on the taps, promising to add hundreds of millions of barrels of oil
5: into the market. As Russian oil comes off the global market, supply of oil drops and prices are rising. Now Putin's price hike is hitting Americans at the pump. Our prices are rising because of Putin's action. There isn't enough supply. And the bottom line is, if we want lower gas prices, we need to have... More oil supply right now.
2: Well, let's go live to Brussels first and join EU correspondent Rosie Burchard. Rosie, we were just saying there that the Russian president Vladimir Putin is demanding that foreign buyers, European buyers, pay for Russian gas in rubles or he turns off the taps tomorrow. That was the threat. So, is it a bit of a standoff at this point?
5: Here, this is certainly what's seen as a kind of dramatic escalation in this economic standoff between Russia and Western powers. Now, this demand from Russia is widely seen as a bid to boost the ruble, that currency, that Russian currency, really ailing under the impact of Western sanctions. But it is something that G7 countries have rejected germany said earlier this week that there's something they said that it would be a breach of contracts and that they insist that contracts would be respected those contracts say that they, those bills should either be paid in euros or dollars and not in rubles now as you mentioned in response to this latest move we're hearing germany even calling this out as blackmail now we do understand that some of those bills are not to be paid tomorrow the april bills might be paid in a few weeks time, so there might be some Uh, Movement here from European countries as they try to uh, calculate their next move. Really, here, but of course, with that rejection that we've heard from Germany, from other countries rejecting this demand from Russia, we really have the the risk rising there that Russia could simply turn off the gas taps. That's why Germany yesterday activated the first level of its gas emergency plan. At that stage, it does not foresee kind of limits to supplies, but it could in future, if escalated look at rationing so that uh, gas supplies can be channeled to those where it's needed most those locations for example hospitals so we are seeing quite dramatic political scenes playing out here as I said this economic standoff intensifies we know the impact that this has on the wholesale gas market so what is the
2: Commission looking at doing to try and assist countries in dealing with these rising gas prices
5: absolutely there is a debate going on among eu countries on exactly how to deal with these price spikes we've heard months ago that the from some countries for example saying this was just a temporary measure it's not time to intervene of course it's now proved to be not temporary but something that's actually been intensifying we know spain and belgium for example are trying to push for a cap on the energy prices and gas prices at european level that's something other countries including the Netherlands and Ireland have rejected they say such a price cap would be ineffective it could mean that when there's a situation like now where there is a issues around security of supply that gas suppliers would simply sell to other markets and not sell to to, to Europe and I meanwhile well, Countries at national level, of course, are also taking some measures to try and, and mitigate the, the, the impact on, pe- on households and on people's pockets. Emmanuel Macron, President of France, of course, is campaigning, fighting for re election. From tomorrow, there will be an 18 cent reduction on uh, petrol prices in France. Uh, meanwhile, across the, a bit further south in Spain, the government is also taking a multi billion euro. Uh, kind of bailout package there and direct loans and uh, also um, soft loans or so direct aid and soft loans they're really trying to mitigate the impact on consumers and Spain as I said really pushing at European level for a stronger intervention they're also pushing for a decoupling in the price of energy and gas that some of the really complex measures that EU nations are facing here we know the European Commission just Uh, not far from where I'm sitting, is looking into further things, for example, loosening state aid rules for European countries. But this is something EU leaders are likely to discuss in more detail in May. And who knows what kind of situation, Kira, we could be in by then. All right, we're going to leave it there. Rosie Burchard, thank you for that update. Well, Dr Marin Lynch is
2: Chief Research Officer at the Economic and Social Research Institute, and she joins me more. uh, She joins me now for more on this uh, energy crisis. Uh, Doctor, we are hearing there about the possibility um, of gas rationing. I know it's not a guarantee, but we see Germany, you know, talking about uh, the fact that they may have to look at this uh, in the near future. What do we mean when we talk about gas rationing? Who does it affect?
6: well I suppose the first question is who, who does it which countries does does it affect and Ireland is not directly connected to Russia but that doesn't mean that if there was a gas shortage originating from Russia that we wouldn't be impacted. And the reason for that is because we have treaties in place to ensure that in the event of an energy emergency, that energy supplies are shared uh, between different countries. And also because one would imagine that Europe is not going to continue with a standoff with Russia unless they've kind of decided at European level how to ration gas across European countries. In Ireland's case, how would it work? Well, there's a number of steps in the process, really. The first thing we try to do is encourage switching. So this is where there are some electricity generators, for example, that currently run on gas, but that can run on diesel. So where possible, you encourage people or require people in some cases to switch away from gas and to diesel or to another form of fuel. However, that only gets you so far. And at that point, you actually have to start asking um, people to reduce their usage. Um, And the largest users of energy and fossil fuels tend to be some of our very large industrial customers and manufacturers. So you can ask them to essentially curtail their production. Of course that's going to have a big impact on their output and they also tend to be very large taxpayers so that would also have an impact on the amount of revenue that the government's taking in and then in extreme cases we do actually have to impose on households and curtail the amount of fossil fuels available to households.
2: Now, obviously, uh, Europe gets um, a lot of its gas from Russia, as you said, and they have this solidarity mechanism where they might come to some agreement about how they can share out gra- gas, but we get a lot of it from the UK. What agreement do we have from them if they decide to start rationing gas supplies? We do have agreements in place with Great
6: Britain, um,
2: and they uh,
6: predated Brexit, but um, they haven't been upset by Brexit. Um, and then we do also have our own gas supplies from Carab, Now, Carib provides a small um, proportion of our supply and that is dwindling and so, um, Britain in turn gets a lot of their gas from Norway and also gets some of their gas imported via liquefied natural gas from places like Qatar and North America however uh, it would be a different story altogether if the gas pipeline between Ireland and Britain were to see the the amount of gas coming in curtailed or cut off altogether. But there is only one gas pipeline for the whole island of Ireland and it lands in the north. So it would be an extreme event if that was, if that supply of gas was to be completely cut off from the whole island of Ireland.
2: So how realistic then are the fears that there may have to be some sort of rationing here in Ireland, do you think at this point? At this stage,
6: I'm afraid it's impossible to tell. There is this political standoff right now. Who knows how it'll play out. And then there's also the questions of what if we have particularly mild winter, we might get lucky. On the other hand, if we have a particularly severe winter, we might not. Um, and We, in the meantime, a lot of it comes down to how much gas might Europe manage to store in the meantime, because we do have gas storage facilities, but they were depleted after the pandemic. And that was what actually initially put pressure on energy prices before the crisis in Ukraine.
2: And just very quickly, and we heard uh, Eamon Ryan's talk today about time of day pricing, that that's a measure that perhaps they could look at. How exactly does that work? Just briefly.
6: Time of day pricing is where you pay a different tariff depending on what time of day it is that you use your electricity and um, some households have a smart meter installed already as part of the national smart metering program and your electricity supplier can offer you a time of day tariff I'm not too sure where how we would accelerate that in the absence of smart metering, but anyone who does have a smart meter can do that. And it's a case of getting onto your electricity supplier and asking them what time of use tariffs they have available. And then it just means that you can shift your usage away from the peak hours, typically five to seven o'clock in the evening and towards the cheaper hours, especially late at night when demand is low. And that can make a big difference.
2: All right, we'll leave it there. Dr Mirren Lynch, thank you for your time this evening. Well, here in studio, I'm joined by Fine Gael TD, Richard Bruton, into TD, Pallor Tobin, and Head of News at Media House Ireland, Kevin Doyle. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to go to you first because... We have heard over the last couple of weeks the government saying time and time again, you know, we cannot insulate everybody from this. We can't respond to every single price hike. And yet I did think there was a real shift today when we were listening to Eamon Ryan. He suddenly talked about there being a whole variety of additional measures. So has the government changed its tune? Do they realise this is really serious and politically toxic if we don't respond i
1: think they ought to be fair i think they realized all along it was really serious but the problem is the longer that the war in ukraine has gone on and there's no end in sight i think there is a reality dawning that this isn't a sticky plaster situation anymore this isn't something that if we winter this out we get to the summer and by the time we come back to next september october and start to worry about winter heating bills and all the rest of it again that it will have blown over essentially so I think there is that realisation I mean what Eamon Ryan said today was I'm open to everything and throw me all your ideas Um, that certainly doesn't mean that he's going to get money out of Pascal Donoghue to implement any of those ideas I mean we we heard different things like you know anybody who's switched electricity provider recently will know that they'll throw you 250 euro or they'll throw you some sort of a, a nest or a Google app to control your heat better and there's all these freebies in there when you start to move around and that the existing customer should get them i don't think Eamon ryan has the power to enforce that kind of thing but they were some of the things been thrown out in the doll and then there was as as you were talking about Merrin, this idea of pay by time and trying to to move people out. I I know what Meryn was describing there was the idea of opting into that. So you could decide, do you know what? I work quite late. It would suit me to go home at 11 o'clock at night and put on a load of washing and the dishwasher and whatever, and that'll be at an off-peak time. But what I think Eamon Ryan was talking more about was forcing people into that scenario whereby you were no longer coming home at five o'clock to turn on the oven the washing machine, uh, the laptop, charge the phone and turn on the telly for the kids as well. So he was trying to, I think, it's about changing our habits. <clears> and I think <throat> it's forcing that a little bit more than asking people to opt in.
2: Is that a reflection of the shop around comments, do you think? Is it in that vein? Is that how it's seen or is this actually quite practical? I it is now about trying to, I s- think to save money it anyway will discommode
1: can. people. There's no doubt about that. I think it's not quite in the place of shop around. I think it's actually more in the place of, of making people face up to a harsh reality. I mean, when you hear... People, the very idea, and I know it's very, very unlikely to happen, at least we be accused of scaremongering, the very idea that we're even discussing the possibility of the gas pipeline from the UK being turned off. like,
2: And the use what? of the word rationing, we haven't yeah. heard that in this country in decades. Well,
1: it's war talk, it's emergency talk, and that's where we are.
2: Uh, Pader, what did you think of uh, Eamon Ryan's comments today? Do you think, look, we have to be practical here, we can't respond to every price hike, and people have to do what they possibly can?
3: There was nothing concrete in what Eamon Ryan offered the Irish people today, and there has been a laissez-faire attitude by the government right up until this uh, process. The only thing that's been warm in in the the last number of months is the government's hands, because they've been sitting on them uh, in relation to any activity. Uh, You know, it's it's incredible. It seems to be hardwired into the government, a reluctance, a resistance to act. The government do have levers, and we know what those levers are. What are they? Those those levers are uh, VAT and excise, first and foremost. Um, Now, I've put it to to Pascal Dunahue and the Taoiseach for over three months to do something on on VAT. They said all the time they refused to even go to the European Union over the last three months to see if there was any room for flexibility. Now, all of a sudden, the Taoiseach is talking about flexibility, but... you know, it, it's still outsourced. This is still outsourcing the decision to the to the European Union. A reduction in excise, for example, would actually reduce the cost uh, to most homes of about 100 euros for every tank filled with home heating oil. No, there
2: has been a reduction in excise.
3: There has been a reduction. The, the, the government have uh, ha, have had a package in terms of of of, of uh, the cost of living. But if you look at at the average inflation rate for the year is expected to, to be about 6.5%. If you add up everything that the government's done, even back to last October, it's increased disposable income by 1.6%. So the government are a quarter way to actually helping the real need people are experiencing.
2: Uh, Richard, um, the only thing that's warm at the moment is your hands, the government's hands, from sitting on them doing nothing. A lazy, fair attitude. That's what Pat saying.
0: I hear what Pada said, but the reality is we've introduced changes in the fuel scheme, which are worth €265. Euros. We've changed the prescription charges, worth €400. Euros. We've changed childcare support, which will come in September, worth €1,000 for those affected. This was all we've, in, we've... In,
2: in budget last no, year? No, no,
0: these are in the, the, the a mixture of the budget and the new package that, that, that is only being implemented. For example, €230 Euros off your electricity bill uh, this month. Public transport coming down by, by 20%. Uh, student uh, fees will be reduced in the maintenance payments. The tax and welfare package has come through. Uh, the child-dependent allowance has been increased by 250 for people well, on welfare. Is... The the people who are on low income now have a higher income where they qualify for... When you, sorry, I uh, have to say, when you hear relief. this big
2: long list, so, you would wonder why anybody's complaining. It sounds like the government is no, saying... offset. The no, cost we, haven't, of we haven't
0: been able to offset it entirely, but you'll see there's a balance mixed of things there because different families in different situations are facing different pressures. So you have to respond in a way. But, you know, Imran is right. We can't compensate everyone for the impact of these external prices. But we can, uh, you know, soften the blow and we can also make the changes that can make a, a difference to help people Themselves next be week, more resilient. Next for example, next we, we can, for example, we can have the, uh, the the rollout of retrofitting. We can, as as Aman was saying today, use those seven hundred and fifty thousand smart meters and allow them to uh, to help people manage down their their bills. We can help people okay. switch to electric ne- instead of uh,
3: next diesel Next week, the is going to discuss uh, carbon taxes for the next fifteen years. Okay, so. You know, the the whole idea of carbon tax was to reach a price, to move people away from that fuel. The market's already reached those prices. So adding carbon tax now at this stage is a punitive tax because people are trapped in those fuels. If if they could get out of those fuels, they would. and, And right now, we're going to be putting carbon taxes in place well, we won't know the circumstances of people with regards to the price and the cost Th- of living. Simply, that's simply, you know, you Padre wait, 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 is sticking his,
0: ne- his head in the sand here. We have, we have three interlocking crises. We've a climate crisis, and it's not long ago that we had the Fridays for Future you know, young people on the street telling us we're doing nothing about climate. S- 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 Padder wants to, to dismantle no, that process of using the, the money raised carbon from carbon prices? prices to drive changes in people's, uh, t- people's homes so that but, they but can Padre's be cheaper the Toronto. change is
2: happening already because people can see, you know, that people will be forced to change, people will want to change. Is it not a little bit odd to be talking about bringing in measures to help people deal with the rising cost of fuel and at the same time putting an extra charge on fuel?
0: No, the reality is we're or, facing, on, on we're facing a climate crisis, which we have to respond to, so we have to help people to make those changes. But, that money is going into it. We are facing a, a crisis with refugees, so next week, no doubt, Pather will be looking for another mini-budget to deal with accommodation and and the following week, we'll be looking at you know, what are we going to do about the education needs and the uh, of, of of people coming from Ukraine and the extra language support they need. We have to be recognised that we are facing a multiple crisis here. We have to select the interventions, carefully, make sure that they are okay. the most effective was a tax ones, surplus in and, that, and that is what Richard, Eamon Ryan was articulating there was tax,
3: today. There was, a, there was a tax surplus, and we will
0: need those surpluses. We have we have by the end of next April, people, by the end of next month, we will have 40,000. Language. We people, will have 40,000 refugees coming from, from Ukraine by the end to of next month. We have to, you so will, be, you will be the first right. to go in and say, where is the government's plan for accommodating those refugees? You'll be wanting, You'll be asking, how, be how are schools going to cope who have now these children with language needs? And we have to be prepared you're for not, each of those Richard, challenges. I, you're
3: not recognising the depth of the crisis whatsoever. We are Pe- recognising ho- ho- People are getting bills that they can't actually pay. Kids are going to bed uh, hungry at the moment. People are not heating their, their homes. People can't afford the fuel to put into the cars to get to work, to earn a living at, at the moment. So this crisis is real and it's now... Of and it needs it is real. And but the, but the, the response crisis, of the government the, has been far too low. The and the, crisis, the ESRI and the their actual figures have shown that only the, a quarter of the actual cost the, by the inflation has been right, achieved by government. Hunter, the government. The
0: crisis in respond. climate is real as well. And you want to deny it and not deliver the no, changes Richard, we need. I, I'm not the saying The crisis of refugees coming to this country is is real too. And this government has to be able to accommodate all of those interluxing prices okay. let, let me, you know, you, you're shouting me down
3: so you, I need to get a little bit of chance this, to articulate. The, the whole purpose of a carbon tax is to reach a price to motivate people to move from okay, that fuel OK, all right, Padre,
2: and I think in fairness you've uh, had the opportunity to But we're to already that there. Point. Mm. But what, what he is saying, what Richard is saying is, look, the government cannot insulate against every single price rise. It is not possible. No government would be able to do it and no government is doing it across Europe because there are so many other demands
3: Absolutely. on the government. Uh, nobody expects the government to... In, so to... what
2: measure, then, do you think they should be introducing so, uh, specifically?
3: Specifically, there should be a, a fall in the rate of VAT to zero for a three-month period to get people through this period of time and there should be cut in excise now. And, and for
6: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Uh,
3: I, I would actually uh, I couldn't uh, It's uh, it's eighty eight eighty four 84 euros. Uh, per 1,000 litres at the moment is the excise uh, on fuel. I think they should actually get rid of that completely, which would uh, alleviate about 100 euros off a normal fill of a tank uh, that people have in their homes.
2: Richard, are any of these on the table, or what is on the table, do you think, for people who are hard-pressed and are worried tonight about you know, paying future energy bills? Well, I
0: think Eamon Ryan articulated some of the changes. We've, as I say, we we've, have we've three-quarters of a million homes with smart meters, and only 5% of those are using that facility to reduce their energy bills. That is clearly a priority. We also have you know, a lot of people in, in low-income needing to retrofit their homes, and we can accelerate that. that, that Programme and that makes an impact. We have it will, but it's not we, immediate,
2: is it? It's not going to help your bill next month or the month after.
0: As it rolls out, it will. We have many people thinking about electric vehicles, and we've had support to local authorities to put electric vehicle charging systems onto the street. Not one local authority has taken up that option, so we can accelerate those because the things that will help people manage in a resilient way. there are the things that we need to invest in. That is switching away from the, fu- the fossil fuel use. Sharing vehicles. We, okay. do, we have to sh- put accelerate the delivery sharing platforms is, is a very practical way of reducing 90% right. of, of, the, of car journeys are single person journeys. You, so we uh, need to think creatively and have selective measures to support people.
2: Kevin, this is clearly (laughs) politically (laughs) toxic. It is very difficult for the government here, isn't it? I mean, uh, 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 how dangerous a moment is this for this government, do you think?
1: Well, nothing unifies a government like a crisis. So Mm. in, in that sense, I think you will find the three parties of government will come together on this and they will rally together on this in the same way that we saw on COVID to a large extent so I don't know that uh, given that they have a majority on that I don't think it's a dangerous moment for government but the government parties are all struggling in their individual ways in their polls with their membership and all the rest of it so in a a longer term sense there are decisions here that could impact what happens in the future and I think part of the problem um, is kind of displayed here in that I think Richard is living in the future and Padder is living a little bit in the past so Richard is in the retrofit houses are there and we're in electric cars and things are much better and, and Padder is still kind of at the fossil fuel phase that we're obviously trying to push people away from. And the problem right now for people is we don't actually have the answer to this and I don't think There's the no government have it and I don't solution. think the opposition have it. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll
3: write, just just, just very, briefly, uh, very briefly, the ESB made a, a profit of €670 million Euros last year and yet their retail arm is putting up okay. the price but you, uh, but the, of 23 The, the 23%. ESB also has to roll out... The the renewable energy that we absolutely depend on. We
0: have a massive opportunity, but we have to deliver that renewable energy. It won't happen without the SP being in a position to fund it.
2: Well, my thanks to both Richard and Patter for joining me on the panel this evening. Kevin is staying on with me. Next, new calls to bring back pandemic restrictions and all of the other big news stories of the week we'll be reviewing. Stay with us. Are very welcome back. Well, Kevin Doyle, head of news at Media House Ireland, is still with us here. And I'm also joined now by journalist Geraldine Herbert and pharmacist and former TD Kate O'Connell. You're all very welcome to the programme. I want to start by looking at COVID, I think, which has been the second biggest um, news story of the week uh, after the energy crisis. Kate, Are you surprised at the government's response to this, given the sort of begging and pleading that we've heard from those in the front line for the government to do more?
4: Well, I think it's it's very clear that our hospitals are under severe pressure. We're seeing that in the community as well, that the, the burden of illness in the community is quite high. People aren't getting as sick as they have in, with other variants. What we are seeing now is that people aren't getting the care um, that they should be getting in our A&Es, but also a lot of our more vulnerable people are catching COVID while in getting routine hospital care. Um, in, in, in terms of what the government can do, um, I suppose you have to think about the impact of, of of what you do so you know we could i'm all for masks and i'm working in a healthcare setting but if enforcing masks isn't going to have a material impact on what's happening in our ANEs well then is there any point in doing it um but i do think something is going to have to be done to curb um the progress of 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 covid at the minute because the numbers are getting so high that um if there were to be some extraordinary event, um, our system is not able to cope at the minute. And it's very clear from Finney Hay and other representatives within the hospital setting that there is huge pressure there and pressure that shouldn't be there at this time of the year.
2: But the truth is, I suppose, that the government all of along have said, you know, we need to follow public health advice on this, and on the one occasion where they didn't follow public health advice, they were utterly berated. That's their defense here, isn't it?
4: Yeah, but I mean, look, I mean, we've learned an awful lot in the last few years as to about COVID and how it, it, it can be stopped and the transi- transmission can be, can be stopped. But I think the burden is so great in the community at the minute that an intervention like mandatory mask wearing um, wouldn't have the desired impact on our hospital figures. Um, the problem is now is that we've such a burden of disease amongst our healthcare workers. And although reducing the isolation period to five days may help that the reality is some people are actually still sick with COVID it it is an illness so even if you cut it to five days when people may not be fit to go back yet and frontline workers are obviously more at risk than anybody else such is the nature of their jobs.
2: Uh, Speaking of masks Geraldine has the messaging around masks whether they work or whether they don't currently work has that been clear from government?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think what people have taken is wear masks if you feel you should or you feel you need to. I mean, it hasn't been particularly clear on that. Um, I think that the the messaging around public uh, transport has been particularly bad. I mean, really, they they probably should have stayed as mandatory on public transport. Um, But I I think the genie's out of the bottle at this stage. People have enjoyed life without these restrictions. I think the longer that goes on, the harder it is to rein people back in. I think even if a mask mandate was brought in, the fact that those who are are concerned are wearing them anyway those who are not concerned are not wearing them I don't think a fine is going to make them particularly concerned so I think it'd be very difficult to impose anything at this stage. It has
2: been unclear I think hasn't it because I did have a number of politicians in here during the week and they said look the advice is clear we're telling people to wear masks, you know, in indoor settings or crowded setting. And yet you have the Taoiseach mm-hmm. on radio today with Claire Byrne saying it's going to make no difference to the trajectory of this disease, yeah. but yet wear your masks. So yeah. I think people are utterly confused.
1: The advice is clear if you look up the HSE website, which nobody does. Um, I think that's the problem here. We were so used to hearing the ads on the radio from the Let's Hold Firm to We're All In It Together. And that all just kind of fell away. And obviously the media, we've all moved on. There's a new crisis Um to follow, and, and so it's not getting the same coverage it is. And so I think people are not as clear on that. But interesting to hear Kate say that she thinks something will have, mm. to, have to be some sort of intervention because the CMO met with politicians in, in, in government tonight at that cabinet subcommittee, uh, and they've come away with the completely opposite view, Kate, of the world mm. than what you've just presented because they've basically come away thinking, Great, we've beat this wave that things have turned and we're on the way back out. And
2: that's been very interesting because Stephen Donnelly seemed to be suggesting next week, you know, that's it, that's the tipping point. Mm. And yet the HSE modelling has been very difficult or different. I thought they said it will be about three weeks. It's one of the problems here is that we, you know, we haven't heard from the CMO Yes, uh, we, we haven't heard seen, publicly. Yeah. We have we're, we're,
1: we're being His spokespeople in government have been telling us what his thoughts are. But, but certainly coming out of the meeting tonight, at which Tony Holohan was at, um, the mood is very much that we've passed the tipping point and that we've, we've seen this one out, so we'll keep going, and there'll be absolutely no intervention. We're an hour and ten minutes away from the legislation falling away. So after tonight, they actually have to go through a whole new legislative process just to bring back mandatory mass if they want. It's not
4: going to happen at this moment in time. I think it was surprising how quickly, though, people stopped wearing masks. I mean, we we expected in the pharmacy. We ne- we haven't enforced it since since the mask thing lifted, and um, even though we are healthcare, because we just couldn't be having the rows all the time. But isn't that it, Kate? And I mean, that's the government's yeah. argument: is yeah.
1: they don't want retail and everywhere and else to be having those rows. And it is. It's a huge pressure. It's a huge and pressure. And it gives the anti-masks uh, campaign a whole new thing. But I was
4: very surprised at how quickly people took off the masks, and I, and the same on public transport. I think it's it's very surprising that in crowded. that that message isn't there, that there is a protection there from masks. And you don't think of the... Why staff are wearing it, You know, really, I'd say only probably 20% of people coming into community pharmacy. And some of those people will have COVID, you know, they will have be be COVID positive. So, you know, that's... Do you think it
2: would be a big deal for people if masks were mandated for a couple of weeks? Do you think there would be those rows where people are saying, no, I'm not not doing it, I've been there, done that, I've moved on, I have my vaccinations, I have my boosters, I've had COVID multiple times in some cases... I'm not wearing
4: this. Yeah, I think, I think people are sort of over masks. Mm. I mean, I'm always surprised when someone comes in for a booster without a mask on them. We have someone that, you know, conscious about COVID and then they'd expect a healthcare professional to get up close and personal and vaccinate. Mm-hmm. So there is a sort of a loss of, of attachment to the mask unless you're obviously working on the front, on the front line where you don't want to get um, infected.
2: Do you expect the CMO to come out? Because we did have calls today uh, from David Cullinan. I think I heard Roisin Shorthold saying it as well. Look, he needs to come out and address the public. We need to see that written advice. He should come into to the Aractus Health Committee. You know, we need to hear from him.
4: Well, I suppose uh, if it's going to give some direction to people. But I think clearly at the minute people um, are conscious of the levels. I think everybody knows the people who who didn't have COVID all have it now. The burden of disease is so high. But the the pushback will come from the public when their family members aren't being treated adequately and where people actually suffer as a result of the COVID levels in our hospitals. That's when the push will come um, on government from the public.
2: OK, we're going to leave it there for now, but more big news stories of the week, including... Actor Will Smith says sorry for the show-stopping slap and Chris Rock breaks his silence. Join us in a few minutes. Still with me, journalist Geraldine Herbert, pharmacist Kate O'Connell and head of news at Media House uh, Ireland, Kevin Doyle. Uh, Kevin, I want to go to you on um, the Ukrainian refugees coming into Ireland and the stories this week of tented accommodation uh, being erected in Gormanston. Do you think, is there discomfort in government at the kind of the optics of that?
1: I think so. I mean, we have seen the pictures from particularly the Polish border where we've seen those big kind of community halls and sports centres with the camp beds laid out. And, you know, we kind of think of that as far away. I think if we start to see that in places like Gormanstown, it will hit home in that, like, you know, there is a... Obviously, the war is terrible. But there is, has been a little bit of a feel-good factor in the way that people... Uh, as much as the government have responded in terms of the people who've registered to take someone into their home, um, in terms of the money that's been given over to the various campaigns for the charities. But I think when we get to that stage, it will become uncomfortable and the question will ask, that's not going to work for months and months and months.
2: And yet the T-shirt saying today, Geraldine, look, we're still not going to put a cap on the number of refugees, you know, that we bring into Ireland from uh, the Ukraine. Should we, if all we can offer is a tent in Gormanston.
7: Well, I think the problem at the moment is there's just so many unknowns. We don't know how many are going to arrive. We don't know how long they're going to be here for. We, you know, we, we, we don't know what the course of the war is going to be. So I think accommodation that's suitable for short term will not be suitable for long term. So it's just trying to determine all of those things at the moment. So it's almost like the COVID situation in that sense. There's just a huge amount of unknowns. And I think, look, we have to do whatever we can. We have to take in whatever numbers arrive. But it's very hard to determine at the moment what are we realistically looking at? Uh, Kate, you've pledged a room, haven't you? I
4: have, yeah. Just, and I haven't um, had conversations contact from the Red Cross yet. My understanding is they're trying to house sort of larger families in standalone accommodation and then maybe somebody more specific for a a room in a house. I think it's more permanent um, fixtures that they're looking for. But in terms of having people in tents, I mean, I don't think, you know, in in light of the Irish response, I don't think that would sit well with any of us. And we'll all just have to step up and do what we can to provide accommodation. And there are positive stories. You can see the schools down and go, a number of kids. Tonight, my own nine-year-old came home and said there was a girl from from Ukraine on the soccer team tonight. That's the only
2: detail I got,
4: no other detail.
2: (laughs) Um, But, you know, you see that happening and that's positive and So do you expect then because we heard Minister Catherine Martin today saying look I urge anybody out there who has a vacant property who has a holiday home please pledge it I'd
4: say I'd I'd expect there'll be a surge in in that in in pledges and we have compared to what's happened in Ireland before the Red Cross the amount of people that have have uh, pledged accommodation or help um, is far in excess of what's ever happened before. So I think this has really hit home with Irish people, and we'll just do what we have to do.
2: Uh, I just want to move on to car prices because, like everything else at the moment, up, up, up they go. First of all, is there any evidence that, uh, given the rise in uh, fuel costs, that people are moving to EVs, or are, are there any there to buy?
7: Um, yeah, in terms of new cars, we don't see that at the moment because there's such a long delay for new cars at the moment that anybody who placed an order in January and February based on the fuel prices is not actually going to get a car for another few months at least. So we're not going to see the impact of that in new car sales. Definitely in second-hand sales, we see a huge increase in people looking for them. Fortunately, there's just a huge... There's a shortage in second-hand cars, but there's a particularly acute shortage in EVs. We haven't sold them in the numbers. We're not bringing them in from from, the, from England anymore because they're just not attractive. And a from, huge hike in the prices. cost
2: of your 2nd hand car. I mean, i yeah. people who bought a car, you know, two
7: years ago, a second
2: hand car, who think it's worth more today than it was when they bought
7: it. Yeah, it's a bizarre situation that a car can actually appreciate in value in your driveway. But the fact of the matter is there's a shortage of new cars because of this global chip shortage that's been going on forever. As I said, Brexit is making imports much less attractive. So all of this, it's a supply and demand issue. Uh, prices will stay high. I think they're going to stabilise, to be honest. I don't see them going up much further. But I think high prices are going to be a feature of used cars for the foreseeable future. Uh, Kevin, and I want to move on to sort of two you know
2: fairly positive i think <laughs> uh, initiatives um, from government this week i mean COVID has just dominated the last two years, hasn't it, uh, of this government, and now it looks like the cost of living is going to dominate. So to see leaving cert reform and, you know, the auto-enrolment in pensions, is that seen as a positive thing by government? This is what this government can do? Because in fairness, previous governments have really struggled to tackle those two issues.
1: Two topics that governments have talked about for decades, Mm. and we have definitive dates now for when these are going to happen. Within the next two, three years, in theory, we're going to have the auto enrollment pension scheme and we're going to have some not huge changes leaving cert. I know the people affected will see them as huge, but, you know, it's a little bit of tinkering, I suppose, in terms of bringing the English and Irish back to fifth year. So, yeah, it, are they positive? I don't know, go and ask a third-year student at the moment whether they think uh, it's it's a positive move or not. Um, and But, yeah, I mean, look, I, it's funny that the wheels of government still have to, to go on and they've probably got very little debate versus what they would have got in a, in a normal time, you'd probably be spending the whole show on it, you know?
2: Uh, one of the difficulties, I suppose, with the um, pension enrollment was that cabinet memo, yeah. wasn't it, that, that, that your paper had, that the Irish Independent had. It was really sort of a recognition that generation rents might still be renting in their 60s and 70s and they're going to need a big pension.
1: Well, the guys who do the, le- the, reform- the, guy who do the reformed leaving certs will have a pension, but they won't have a house. That's basically what that memo was, was telling them. Um, and, you know, politically, and, and Kate would know about this, I know a civil servant will have done the research on that and there's logic behind why it happened, but politically, how that ever got into the memo is kind of beyond me because it turned what, in theory, should have been a good news story into a... Hold on a second, What? kind of moment and... Um,
2: it's just shone the spotlight again, didn't it, Kate, on how generation rent is, you know, going to be left behind.
4: Yeah, it's, it, it, it's almost hopeless um, in terms of, if, if you were reading it as, as, as a younger person. Um, I also think it's worth noting the, the impact that the, the pension plan will have on small to medium enterprise and that how it's going to be very important, how that's sort of absorbed into the system. Like, um, small business um, will have to adapt... Um, to a great extent to, to accommodate the, the costs of this. And it may and depend sick pay in, as well. This pardon, and and sick sick pay, as well. That's a, that's a huge, huge cost. So in terms of, I suppose, pro-business moves and um, post-pandemic, um, it is going to be um, a talking point um, um, amongst people trying to operate businesses where costs are increasing in terms of retail packaging costs and all of those and, and, and running a business, keeping the heat and, heat and light on and transport costs for staff. All of that is increasing. And now, while obviously we want to provide for our staff and cushion the future and people are getting older and living longer, and that's all very positive, um, business will um, take a hit on this in already an inflationary situation.
2: I want to move on to, surely, one of the most talked about news stories this week. We saw it there coming up to the ad break, which is of course, the infamous slap. Uh, we're just looking at it again. And it's shocking every single time. I keep thinking it was a stunt, but it definitely wasn't. The Academy, Geraldine, did the Academy respond to this in the way they should have, do you think?
7: There was just so many bizarre aspects about this. One of them was that the response of the Academy, which was just business as usual, just go on and pretend it didn't happen. That to me was the craziest, but also um, Will Smith's speech about, what was it, love makes you do crazy things, something. Sorry, this wasn't crazy. This was violence. This was like, it was just stunning that somebody could actually assault somebody publicly like that. I know the joke was in really bad taste, but in the end of the day, it was a joke told by a comedian. You know, that's- But it was offensive. It was, absolutely, but the response, the the correct response was not to you know to to be violent towards him and to hit him it was just the most bizarre thing I think I've ever seen Uh, Kevin I heard the um, the host uh, Wanda
2: Sykes saying today that she was sickened that he did it but then that he sat in his seat and within an hour was up (laughs) the steps holding on to that gold trophy winning best actor that that's what sickened her the most
1: well it's kind of extraordinary that the Academy came out today and said oh we did ask him to leave after that and he refused And then we went and gave him the award and a stage and the platform to go and speak of. And the 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 great irony of it is that, uh, it was in theory, he didn't know he was going to win, but it actually would have been a far more powerful statement if he hadn't gone up and slapped him, but had used his acceptance speech to admonish Chris Rock and done it that way. And I think he would have got a lot of credit. For having done that, so uh,
2: should he have been evicted? I mean, that it sounds like they yeah. had to handle him out. When did they tap him on the shoulder
4: and he just said, "No, I'm not leaving"? That's what it sounds or like. Did they start dragging him? On. At what point did they give up? How, or, how much did, did
7: they, they, they try? Did they call the police? Like it? It's... I don't think they tried very hard. I think that's the point. Yeah. I think they're trying to excuse their own actions by allowing him to continue business as usual by saying that. But we did, yeah, you if, know, we did if, our best Chris, to try and get Chris him out. If Chris
4: Rock were a woman, what would have happened? If if if, if Chris Rock was a woman, oh female. yes, it probably
2: would have been clear. Absolutely. They were seen it as clear assault. Yeah, I mean, it's just not acceptable. Speaking of Chris Rock, I mean, he's broken his silence. He was at a gig uh, today. He got a four or five minute standing ovation by all accounts, Kevin. He
1: he broke his silence to say nothing, um, as as they often do. He's processing
2: it. He's processing processing it, yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: and he'll talk about it somewhere down the line in detail. And it had the real whiff of... Um, I'm going to make money off the back of this if I'm honest about it but yeah he, he, got, he did a gig today he got standing multiple standing ovations the, the media reports of it are that he was almost blushing because it was so effusive and so over the top and I'm not sure that's right either because to be honest I know comedians always push the line and, and look it's what they do and to be honest if you go to a comedy show and they do that you probably find yourself laughing at something that if we said it here you'd be offended by, but it's in that setting. But I think, I don't like the idea that Chris Rock is kind of becoming the hero of this because I think there are two villains. And and I think under the circumstances, I don't think it's right that you pick a woman out for her. It's a very sensitive thing for a lot of women, especially when it's an illness. And you pick her out sitting in the front row, and the camera pans to her. And at the
2: Oscars, at with the of Os- people watching.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I'm i a bit uncomfortable with the fact that he's becoming a good guy out of this.
2: OK, just finally, it's census night um, this Sunday, April the 3rd. Everybody should have their census now. You have to fill it out. Um, you have the opportunity this time. <laughs> Kate, I don't know why I'm laughing, but you're asked <laughs> to put a message <laughs> in the middle of a crisis. <laughs> After two years of pandemic and now cost of living crisis, and you're asked to put a message in it for future generations, Kate, what are you going to write?
4: Is it still as awful? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm very negative. Is it gone yet? Is it <laughs> gone? Um, is it nearly over? Is there still? We're um, we still talking about mask mandates. Um is are we? Is it COVID? Whatever you know. Um, what variant? So you so haven't so decided so what so
1: you're so going to put in your time absolutely capsule not. just I mean, yet.
4: I don't think I'll put anything.
2: Will you, it. Kevin? Will you?
1: Uh, maybe just any news. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was I thinking see, a simple good luck. Yeah, I did see a great one. It could apply to Donegal, of course, Kira as well, but I did see one that's been going around on WhatsApp. There's a, have Mayo won Sam yet? Question oh, uh, mark, which I thought you was... You know
2: what, on that uncomfortable note, that dig at Donegal, I think we will have to leave it there. Uh, that's it from us. My thanks to uh, my panel. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms, but from all the late team here, good nights and do take care.